but not changes thee. Isn't that a blessing? Nothing changes our God. Thank the Lord. Well, greetings and welcome to everyone this morning to the house of the Lord. I trust you've been blessed. It's been very good to be here this morning. It was good to be here yesterday working together. That was a blessing. Enjoyed that very, very much. And today we can come and worship together. Thank the Lord for that. Well, today we want to consider a man who was prophesied by Old Testament prophets that he would be he would go before Christ. This man was related to Jesus. This man spent a season alone with God in the wilderness. He wore animal skin for clothing, ate wild locusts and honey. He showed up first in Judea preaching repentance. The crowds quickly swelling to multitudes. This man had disciples. His ministry quickly rose to fame and popularity, rising in importance to that of none other in the sight of God. His ministry, though very important, was relatively short lived. And just as quickly as he rose to fame and popularity, his ministry is finished. He removes himself from public spectacle and then speaks those very famous words, he must increase, he must increase, but I must decrease. These words, without doubt, are among the most noblest words ever made by human lips. John, John the Baptist, looks away from himself and exalts Christ. Surely, we can learn a lesson from this man this morning. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. And reading in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. After these things, and maybe I should say, after what things? Jesus had just spoken the greatest evangelistic truth that he could probably ever speak, that a man must be born again, that God so loved the world 
He had just got done saying those things in this chapter. And then after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John, John the Baptist now, was also baptizing in Enon near Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And then came and they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold the same baptizes, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from God, from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he te testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. The father loveth the son and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. How about at this time we kneel together for prayer <clears throat> before the Lord? Lord Jesus, God the Father, we come before you praying, Lord, thanking you for what you've blessed us with already this morning, Lord. Thank you for the words of life. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the stories of the Old Testament, vivid stories. Lord, and we are blessed this morning, richly, richly blessed, Lord, as we gather here together with fellow believers and and sit quietly together as the word of God is preached, our, our thoughts engaged, our minds working. Lord, if we sit here and hear the wonderful word of the Lord, thank you, God, for these blessings. 
Lord, there's yet more to be learned or, or retold. Lord, we do forget and we lose some of the things that we have heard before. So we need to hear them again. But God, I do pray that you, by your Holy Spirit this morning, would speak these truths into our hearts, Lord. Lord, we have before us the text of John the Baptist and the end of his ministry and those noble and famous words, Christ must increase, I must decrease. Oh God, the lesson in this passage, Lord, is what we endeavor this morning to learn. The great humility of John the Baptist, being able to effectively relinquish his ministry to Christ, point all the attention to him and, and fade out of the picture, fade away. Oh God, help us, Lord, in our personal lives to be able to say that, Lord. Christ must increase in me. Christ must increase and I must decrease. Lord, teach us that lesson this morning from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few points of interest here before we get to our text verse in verse 30. As I was meditating on this portion, it's, it's interesting to note that both those that were following Jesus now for not a very long time, I'm not sure how long, but not a real long time, Jesus had gathered a following and they were baptizing. So you just imagine this group of people, I don't know how large, not too far away from the second group, John and his group. And they're both baptizing in this setting here. John and Jesus. I found that very interesting to just think about. And then because of the close proximity of the two, people started to compare And they all of a sudden notice that there's more people with Jesus than they are with John. In fact, they they send people to John in in, in verse uh, uh, 26. They they sent people to John and said, John, the man that you, you bear witness to, he's also baptizing now and all men come to him. So it appears that Jesus had the greater crowd by that phrase. I thought that was interesting. I thought it was interesting that it made note that John was not yet cast into prison. And I I didn't have time to really dig into it to try and figure out exactly how much time, how long it was yet till John went to prison. But I don't think it was really long. That was an interesting point to me to think about. That it brings that out. 
I believe it was in, in Matthew's gospel, if you study there, at this point here is where some of, John, of John's disciples, I believe it would have been Andrew, that left John and went over to Jesus' group. And so you have John the Baptist for the last, I don't know, if it was a year or so, he had this large crowd following him, maybe not that long. But, and he had disciples, Andrew being one of them, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I stand to be corrected on that. But it appeared that at one point, Andrew and Peter went over to Jesus. And so you have John seeing literally his crowd diminish and going over to Jesus Another point that is very interesting here, how John was completely satisfied in doing what he was called to do and relinquish his ministry at this point and and say that his joy is fulfilled in hearing the voice of the bridegroom. John very clearly rehearsed to them that he had stated before that he was not the Christ. He was not the all-important man, even though God had said of him that he was, that of men born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. God put a pretty big value on John the Baptist and his ministry. He was a forerunner of Christ. He had been prophesied about by different prophets that that uh, did, was he called Elias I believe would come it was called Elias in the Old Testament and he would go before Christ and that was John and so here he is he heard from God he knew exactly what his his, uh, his calling was from God out there in the wilderness, I believe he heard from God. And God told him that he's going to go and he's going to preach this baptism of repentance. And not very long after that, he will, see, he will see a man being baptized. And when he comes up out of the water, the spirit will come out of heaven in the form of a dove and light upon him. And that had happened already here, I believe. And so John knew this is the man. This is the bridegroom. And he rejoiced. He said, my joy is fulfilled in hearing the voice of the bridegroom. Praise the Lord. If we can get such a a clear vision of our calling, of of, of who we are as Christians, and, and I believe we should be able to, to an extent at least, that we can be so satisfied in being who God has called us to be. We have gained a lot. If we can come to that place, I'm called to be a Christian. I'm not called to be brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, but I'm called to be a Christian to keep Christ first and foremost in my life, to imitate him, to hear from him, to learn from him. And that my most and greatest joy is simply hearing and recognizing and being able to determine 
the voice of the bridegroom, we will have accomplished something very great. You know, it was one of John's strengths, I believe, that he could so easily relinquish what other men would perhaps have kept the hold of. Because it's not mine. I'm just here. My ministry is over. There it goes. I've done my work. And I can just let go. Even though we know that they're in prison then, it seems like he kind of struggled a little bit and thought, well, was I really following? Is this really the Christ? Because I'm not sure why all, but I can just imagine that things didn't quite add up for John in the prison there, that musty old prison cell perhaps. He began to listen to his feelings and his or surroundings maybe, and he began to doubt a little bit. And Jesus told him all those wonderful things that are a sign of, of himself, that this is indeed the Christ, and blessed is he who is not offended when things don't go the way you think they should, in my own words. So, another thing, and a point of interest here in this passage is that Christ, uh, John recognized that he himself was given just a small portion of God's calling and God's gift or God's spirit. But Christ, he recognized, is given the spirit without measure. Without measure. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. Ponder that, dearly beloved. Which brings us now to the main point of the message this morning. Fairly simple. Not all that unusual. We've all heard messages on humility before. But it's probably okay to hear it again. He must increase I must decrease. Increase. It means to grow, to wax, to enlarge. Christ must grow. Christ must enlarge. Christ must wax stronger and stronger. His ministry, his kingdom. And decrease to lessen. Me, John the Baptist, my ministry must lessen, decrease become smaller and smaller till it's not noticed anymore. While John was primarily talking about his public ministry, probably, here, there is nonetheless, I believe, a tremendous truth and lesson for each of us personally to take away from these scriptures. More of Jesus, less of me. Amen? I lift him up. I humble myself. I want people to see him more in me and less see myself. To live more for him and less for me. 
to show more of his character. To embrace him and deny myself more. To sing his praises more and not mine. And sometimes God uses us, but then we learn to deflect the glory to him and not take it to myself. To speak more of his power and his working in my life and less of mine own abilities and what I have done. To testify more of his accomplishments in my life. How do we effectively learn this? We know that humility is not an easy thing to learn. About the time that you think you've got it, then you lose it. Because you think you got it. Isn't that how it works? What was John's secret? I think I have a secret here that I can give to us this morning that will help us in our personal lives to, to, uh, to uh, go through times of transition or times when God works in our lives as, as well as John did. And I think one of John's main secrets was this. John was able to transmit his ministry to Christ because he was close, near to the Lord. Now, upon your ears hearing that, that may not, you know, it seems so small, but brothers and sisters, it is big. It's very big. John walked with God. John spent time alone out there in the wilderness For a season. And John heard from the Lord. John heard from the Lord. John the Baptist. Heard from God. And John knew what God's will was for his life. And John. John the Baptist was truly humble. I believe because John was close to. To the heart of God. And I believe humility. Is a natural response. Of being close. To the heart of God. Just think with me of people that. Whenever they came into the presence of God in the Bible. They were on their face. Immediately. They fell on their face. Woe is me. Isaiah said. Peter said. Jesus, depart from me, from me, for I'm a man, uh, for I'm a sinful man. And, and on and on and on the list could go. Mary, when she saw him, wanted to fall at his feet and worship him after he was risen there. And in fact, I think she did that beforehand, but she wanted to do it again. So humility is a natural response of being in, close to God. So we can do a little evaluating. How do I respond? How close am I to God? You see? Make the connection. How close I am to God is very, very big. 
as far as how humble we will be. You know, when we measure ourselves among ourselves, it's first of all not wise, but we can, we can maybe find someone that we're more humble. But look Jesus into his face and see if there's not more room for you to grow. See, that's the key. And then we're, when we're looking Jesus full in his face and we're asked to do something very hard like John did here, we can do it. We can do it. Now, this message is not a college-level message, I don't believe. It's very simple. But, however, of utmost importance, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And we have, if you will, a little checklist in the book of James of how to achieve Humility. So we're going to turn there. It's not that difficult. James, if my understanding is correct here this morning, was a brother of Jesus. Half-brother of Jesus. He was probably one of those that, first of all, stood without and had a hard time with Jesus. But eventually, he came to realize this is, in fact, the Son of God, my brother. And he had some very good things to say and teach us this morning on humility. He must increase, but I must decrease. So in James 4, we will begin reading verse 6 to 16. Uh, Actually, we won't go quite that far down, but... uh, See here. Verse 10. We'll read from verse 6 to 10. James 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Very precious words from James. How do we achieve humility? Well, James gives us seven very practical things to do here to achieve humility. And the first one is draw nigh to God. Like I already said, draw nigh to God. Brothers and sisters, if we want to be humble, we are going to need to draw nigh to God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm missing the first one. So verse 7, submit yourselves, submit yourselves therefore to God. Sorry. 
Submit yourselves to God with a total, unconditional surrender to his will. We sang that song this morning about, I will be true to thee. How is your submission, brother and sister, to the Lord? Is it total? Is it unconditional to his will? Lord, I want to do your will. It's, it's the way to achieve humility. Not my will, Lord, but thine be done. Submission to the Lord. Lord, I know if I go my own way, I will go the wrong way. Lord, I submit myself to your will. To the best of my abilities, Lord. Checklist number one. Number two, resist the devil. Resist the devil. When we learn to resist the devil, we allow no secret sin or hindering things in our life. Things that hinder us. The devil is the opposite of humility. He is proud. He lifted himself up. And, and we can clearly see by not effectively resisting the devil and allowing him to get a foot into our, our lives, he will allow a little bit of pride. Pride comes from the devil. Humility comes from Jesus. Learning to, to be humble is to learn to resist the devil and not allow any secret sin or hindering thing in my life anything that hinders me it shouldn't be that difficult I don't believe it's just to take an honest evaluation am I hiding sin Satan wants you to hide sin small secrets in your life small things that you never that you that you did perhaps and you can't believe that it happened but you did it and you haven't found the grace of God to bring that thing out into the light yet You need to. The devil wants you to keep that thing hidden. You need to resist the devil who suggests that, oh, it's not that big. Just confess it to God. He'll take care of it. Just really humble yourself and come to your brother, your parent, your sister and say, I sinned. I have a hidden sin in my life that no one knows about. It needs to come out. That is your road to true humility. Number three, draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God by seeking his face through the scriptures. Taking the Bible and finding verses and saying, God, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that when your spirit comes into my life, I should have rivers of water flowing out of me. God, it's not that way. Seek God's face for that. First of all, you're humbly admitting to God that you don't believe you have everything that he has for you. And you're confessing that to someone else. God, I'm seeking your face for this thing in my life. I want more of a spontaneous testimony. God, I don't think I have the joy of the Lord like I ought to have it. 
I complain too much. I grumble too quick, God. I know I do, God. And that's not what you want from me according to the scriptures. God, I'm seeking your face for joy. Do that. That is point number, point number three from the book of James. In you finding, in me finding true humility before the Lord. Number four, James says, cleanse your hands. What does that mean? Cleanse your hands. Well, we cleanse our hands with water and soap. How do we cleanse our soul from sin? How do we do it? How did, what, what for, what's the prescription from the Bible? How to cleanse our soul from sin? Any, any suggestions? How do we do it? Very clear. Confess. Confess your sins, your faults, one to another, and, and you shall be healed and cleansed, the scripture says, John says. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So cleansing our hearts from sin needs confession and making, by the way, restitution, making things right. Making things right. Going back to those that you said things about, did things to, whatever the case may be. If you want to be truly humble and find truly grace from God, there needs to be a a cleansing of the hands by confession and making restitution. I'm sorry I said that about you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry last night or last week or whatever. Maybe there's wives in here that husbands need to go to and say, I'm sorry. You know, I said that and I should have not said that. That is your road to true humility. I I promise you. Wives, maybe there's some men in here that needs to hear you say that. I'm sorry. I didn't respond well. Youth. Maybe there's some parents here that need to hear you come to them and say, I'm sorry. I did not respond well. I did not, I did not reply back well. It's a part of true humility. It's a part, it's a step in finding grace from God. We need grace from God, don't we? Truly we do. This is a step. Point number five goes a little deeper. Cleanse your hands. Now it says purify your hearts. Goes deeper yet. Purify your hearts. I'm sorry, I'm kind of, I hope I didn't confuse you here, but number four is cleanse your hands by confessing all your sins and making restitution Number five is purify your hearts, making sure there is no secret desire to continue sinning. Is, are you completely open? A pure heart is open, wide open. There's no room with a locked door in it, with a secret desire that I'll go back there if I 
if I want to. Just in case, it's, I'm not quite ready to completely forsake this one area. A pure heart will open itself up, unlock all the doors. No secret desire to continue in sin. I'm going all the way. That's a pure heart. And I believe that's a heart that finds grace from the Lord. Number six. How serious should we get about this? John gives us a hint here. A pretty clear hint. He says, be afflicted and mourn. It's pretty serious. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Grieve over the awfulness of sin. I'm sure you, along with me, can't think of one person in the Bible who could think of his sin and was glad that he sinned and felt he was paid back good for his sin. Sin is always awful. Sin is always death. And so we should see it for what it is and we should be afflicted and mourn over this, over our, over our, maybe it's our, maybe it's our, uh, our fault. We keep falling, and it, we do it again and again. And, and we should come to the point where we get serious and we break our hearts. And he takes it a little further, John does. And he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. There's a season for everything. And there's a season that when sin, when we don't have victory over sin, there's a season of, of not being joyful, of not pretending. This thing is serious. And I got I to gotta afflict myself. I've got to turn my laughter to mourning. How can I laugh with defeat? In my life. How can I pretend to be joyful. And not have the victory over sin. Let your joy be turned to heaviness. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy cometh in the morning. Praise the Lord. We all know. Or I, I, I trust we do. What it means to be in this condition for whatever. It's probably different for different people. But when we got completely honest and completely open and completely desperate. And, and we're not afraid to be afflicted and mourn. And not, we're not afraid to say, I, I cannot go on pretending anymore. And our joy was turned into heaviness. And then it all, all came out. And we found the joy of the Lord again. In number eight, it says, the last point that I have here. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. You know, we don't do it for this reason. But this is usually what we want. We want to be lifted up. We want to be light. We want to be you know, appreciate it. We want to be enjoyable with 
enjoyable to be around. But as long as we try and do it in our own way, we just fail and, and we, yeah, we mess up and we can never do it. But if we finally do it God's way, then he will lift us up and we will be joyful and we will be fun to be around and people will like us. And God's blessing will be upon us. And we can truly say, I want Christ increase and me decrease. I've, I, I've, I've seen enough of myself. I'm going to leave it behind. True inward repentance and what we're talking about here and contriteness will have outward evidence. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed in life, I'm sure you have, that if we refuse to humble ourselves, there are many others who are eager to help us do it. Have you ever noticed that? It seems they just like to tell us where we're wrong. I have seen that. Now, lastly here, I have 14 quick points, specific ways to humble ourselves. Very practical. Jesus taught us that we should bless those that curse us. Do you and I welcome critics? It's kind of what it is. Welcome critics. That's hard. That's very hard. But it's one way to stay humble. If we bless those who curse us. Number two, volunteer for a menial task. Number three, ask others about blind spots in your life. Do you see anything in my life that bothers you? And you ask someone else to say that. Wow, that's, that's going down. Another way that is kind of hidden here is to be thankful, express gratefulness. A humble person is very thankful. It's hidden in there. You are, th- you are seeing the good in others. You're seeing the good of life and you're thankful and you're grateful. And it's just, it's just a way to humble yourself. We could all could probably find things to complain about, couldn't we? But, Be grateful for those around you that accept you because you probably have some things that aren't very nice and easy to accept. So it's a way to be humble is, is to be grateful. Number five, listen, listen to others instead of talking so much about yourself. Number six, and I thought this was a good one, kneel in prayer. And just to do it with a purpose. I think we've kind of got away from that as a congregation. But most importantly in our hearts. That we are kneeling before the Lord. In prayer. It's an expression of humility. Of imploring a, a superior. We kneel in prayer. And to have that true heart attitude as we kneel in prayer. Number seven. Let those over you. Make the final Decision. True way to begin to learn humility. Number eight, 
Ask forgiveness for wrongs you have done. Number nine, praise and honor others on purpose. On purpose. Good job. You have done a good job. Thank you for cleaning up the kitchen. Thank you for cleaning up the shop. I appreciate that. Praise and honor others. Give honor to whom honor belongs. We're we're instructed to do that. Give honor to whom honor belongs. I know as... as, uh, You know, there, that can be taken out of, out of uh, we, we may be shy away from that because of uh, flatter and so on, but true praise and honor is important among God's people, and I think we should practice that. It's good for us to do it, and it's good for us to receive it from others. And then, then like I said earlier, learn to deflect the praise to Christ. It just goes right back to Christ. That's very good and right. Number 10, Take time for prayer and fasting. Fasting is hard. Fasting is difficult. Fasting doesn't make much sense. It really doesn't. I don't like to do it. I don't feel like I can think when I fast, but God says fast. And it's good for us. It humbles ourselves. It weakens us. We feel weak. Sometimes we feel sick on the stomach. God knows what he's doing. These are ways to humble ourselves. Give. Give sacrificially. Give. Also, number 12, give testimony of God's grace. Learn to give a short but powerful testimony of God's grace in your life. This week, I feel like I've overcome by the grace of God. Do that. And it's a way to humble yourself. Number 13, learn to deflect praise. And lastly, but probably all-inclusive, is be a servant. Simply be a servant. Learn to be a servant. I truly know if I'm a servant when I'm asked to be one. That's when I know if I'm truly a servant. In closing, Jesus said, and this brings me back to the beginning, he must increase, I must decrease. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. He's our example. He's the one we look to. There's, there's, there's more to be had in him. Oh, may the Lord help us to be like Jesus. God bless his word. <clears throat>